give them away. I mean, I guess you can get one and put it on your refrigerator, but you can get one of these and it's Good Friday on this side. And then on this side, it's the sunrise service at six o'clock at the high school at the stadium. And then we have one service here Easter morning at 930. And so you have everything you need. Look at that in that. Okay, so use it, use it to, to give it out to people. Invite people and just say, here, even strangers, just like here, here. So they're in the resource wall back there, and if we run out, we'll make some more. Right on. Have you guys ever felt, um, or have you ever had, not felt, but have you ever had the the opportunity to share Jesus with with someone, and, and after it was all said and done, um, you, you kind of beat yourself up afterwards and you kind of think, um, I should have said this. Um, I should have said this instead of that. And why didn't I say that instead of this? Why, why, why didn't, you know, I, because if I would have said this and instead of saying that, the outcome might have been different. And do you ever like, I don't know if you've ever gotten yourself in that place where you like second guess all of it. And I'm thinking, man, I, 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 I'm pretty sure we've all done it. If you've ever shared the gospel with people, you've probably done that. You walked away going, oh, I think I missed it. I think I should have, should have, whatever, all these things. And, I, and, and I, I, I wish I could encourage you, if you've done that, don't beat yourself up over that. Leave that for the professional up here. I will beat myself up over all those things. I, I, I talk way too much anyways. And, and so I probably say a lot more stupid things than you will ever say or miss things that I should have said and didn't say. And so I wish I could encourage you. You don't beat yourself up. I'll do that for you. You know, I'll beat myself up. You just preach the gospel. You just keep on doing it. You just go out there and share the word of God. Um. I, I guess I say that because oftentimes we we think it, it could have been better. And, and it could have, maybe, I don't know. But I think normally or usually when we get to share the gospel in any way, shape, or form, um, the Holy Spirit's the one that does the work, not really you. It's, it's not you that do, that, that do it, that does it. It's the Holy Spirit. And, and, and if you feel like you, you, you missed something, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit can cover that. He, he, will, he will go beyond what you said or didn't say, and He will oftentimes clean up what you said. <laughs> you know, because again, there's times that, that, that you probably didn't cover it the way you should have or didn't come out right, whatever the case may be. But don't beat yourself up with that. I, I, I understand the should have, could have, would have, you know, but I also understand what the Word of God says and what it can do when it says in, in Isaiah 5:11, so shall my word be that goes forth, that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the things which I sent it. 
And so it's the Word of God, really, and the Holy Spirit that does the work. We are only the vessels. We don't even have to be the manufacturers of it. We are just the distributors of what the Word of God says. And so just if you're in the Word on a regular basis and you share the Word, then be confident that the Lord's going to use you in that. Um, Now, it, it is apparent that the Apostle Paul did something totally different as we covered last week when he was in Athens. He, 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 he took a different approach when sharing the gospel with these intellectuals, uh, with these philosophers. He, he took a different approach. And, and in, in sharing the gospel, it's kind of like he, he went off the beaten path. He, he, he got off the, the, resurrect, the, the resurrection, he got off the, the reservation, so to speak. You know, he did something different. I, I don't think it was bad, it was just different. And I think most commentators, as I was reading and studying this, most commentators think that the ministry in Athens was a disappointment. It, it was a disappointment because of the tactic that he took. That uh, because we didn't see the multitudes come to Christ, maybe it just wasn't the way it should have been. Because he didn't get beat up, because he didn't get thrown out, because they, 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 they kind of just tolerated him without really expelling him. Um, they're thinking, well, it just, it, just, it just didn't have that dynamic magic that he had in other places, you know. And if it was a disappointment to these commentators that think that, and and, and perhaps, again, it was just different, I don't think that it was a disappointment for those few that came to know Christ. I I don't think that it was a disappointment to, to them now that they're in heaven, that they were in Athens at that day and they accepted Jesus and it just changed everything for them. They went from hell and they were going to, to heaven because, because Paul was in Athens. Because he touched their lives, because he ministered to them, because it does tell us that some mocked him, for sure. Some were, were like saying, hey, well, you know, we're not quite sure about you, but, but stick around, bro, because we want to we hear from you a little bit more. And it does say that some did come to know Christ. Well, those that did come to know Christ, it might have been a disappointment to everybody else, but not to them. And so, again, we shouldn't beat ourselves up because if somebody hears the gospel from your lips, praise God. Praise God. It's on their hands now. It's on their head. You've done what you were supposed to do, whether they rejected you or not, whether they said, hey, I'm not ready yet, but I'll listen to you some other time. Even if they mock you, don't get like freaked out about it because they're, they're making fun of you. And so we, we, we get into chapter 18 here. We're going to cover from verses 1 through 11 of Acts. And so it says in, in verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, who was born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. 
So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your head, your own head. I am clean. For now on, from now on, I go to the Gentiles. And he departed from them and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you. For I, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. As, as we go back to verse 1, as we, 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 we start this chapter, it says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens. And, and, and he, he went on to Corinth. It really doesn't give us an explanation as to what these or what does this after these things mean. Um, we, we we know that he was mocked while he was in Athens. Uh, again, we know that 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 some heard him, heard the matter, but didn't like receive. But he didn't get run out of town. It, it, it wasn't like he was being pressured to leave, like in other cities that he was in. It's not like he was thrown in, in prison and they came and released him and told him, okay, now get out of here. It, it doesn't tell us any of those kinds of things. But be that as it may, Paul is on the move once again. You see, Paul was, was the type of, of person and his mission was not to stay somewhere for forever. His heart was to go and minister. And when time was up, however it was, he was to leave. At some of the other places that we saw, he had gotten beat up. He had gotten chased out. He, he, the mobs were stirred up. All those kinds of things. And in Athens, there was nothing like that. It was just a different situation all in all. But he's on the move once again. And for some reason, he felt that it was time to go. His, his work was, was done there. And, and again, one of the things that the commentators think is that the church was never started there. But there were some believers that stayed there. And, and again, whether the church started or not, there was believers and they were the church. They were the ones that would be gathering together and encouraging one another. But he's on the move. And he's on the move alone. And if you remember, he was in Athens by himself. He didn't have any of his companions that normally came with him. They had stayed up in Berea area. And they had sent him along to, to Athens by himself. And, and that whole time that he was there, and it doesn't tell us exactly how long he was there, he was there by himself, ministering, doing what he was supposed to be doing. 
And so it seems that as he departs from Athens, he has no one with him. In departing from Athens, Paul would be headed west, about 45 to 50 miles west. If you have maps, I, I, I love looking at maps. You should look at his little journey area. But he's in Athens and he heads west. And he's headed towards Corinth. Again, it would be about 50 miles. And so you know that now that would be taking him a couple of days to travel that. It, it, it would be a long road for him not having any of his companions with them. So I, I, I would suggest, as we're going to look at what we've just read, that he had time to think. <laughs> he had time to, to mull over all the things that had happened in his, in his life. He, he had time to, to go over all the stuff that happened in Athens even, as he walked and as he journeyed by himself. A- Athens, as we, we looked at last week, was known for its culture. It was known for its, its, its learning, its academia. Now Corinth, on the other hand, it, it was a large city, probably over 200,000 people. Corinth was known for its commerce. It had two major ports. It, 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 it was situated in a place where, where the, the, the landmass over here, where Athens was at, and as he traveled west, there was like an isthmus, and then there was like Corinth and the landmass over here. And it's about a seven miles difference from one port to another port, or one sea, the Ajazian Sea, and the other sea. It slips my mind right now. But look it up in your maps. Um, gosh, it's going to kill me now. Adriatic Sea. Thank you. My wife, man, she comes through all the time. Um, the Adriatic Sea. And so, so there was a, 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 an isthmus that, that happened right there. And he would come through that and then come over to Corinth. And so the, the city was a commerce kind of city. And, and, and it had these two major ports, and it had a lot of land travel. But it was also known for its extravagance, its licentiousness, licentiousness, its decadence. It, it was a very kind of perverted place. There, there, there was a saying back then, in, in the days of Corinth, it says, whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. <laughs> Basically is what I think other people have used that term, but I think they started it way back in the day. Because it was one of those kinds of, of cities that anything went. It, that, that word lysa- lysa- uh, licentiousness, or, it's like... I'm going to use another word, which is kind of similar to is lasciviousness. Lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is, is a perversion type of atmosphere. It's the same word. I, I just kept on jacking that other one up. But it, it is just, it is, it is that kind of city. Um, and, and so... It was one of the, 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 the cities, what, what, what it had there was this big old worship center for the god or the goddess um, Epaphrodite. 
Aphrodite, Aphrodite, Aphrodite. That, that was the, the, the goddess of love. That's the goddess of love. And, and, and this temple promoted immorality in the name of religion. It, it is believed that they had 1,000 male and female prostitutes at all times around the, 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 uh, the, the temple worship there. And, 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 and they were there for pleasure because that's what this whole goddess was all about. And so again, you, you could get the picture that this, this worship practice, this immorality that was going on, was not just contained in the temple area. It was throughout. And so here Paul leaves Athens, which was full of idolatry, they worshipped every god under heaven, whoever they thought of, even the unknown god. And, and he gets to Corinth, and it's like from bad to worse. And, and so he gets there, and you could imagine him looking around, and I'm sure he knew about that place, but God was leading them there. But when Paul gets to Corinth, he is determined to share... And to magnify Jesus Christ and Him, mag- and him crucified. He, he, he would now depend solely upon the Holy Spirit to, to minister through Him. To present the gospel in simplicity. Turn over, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, he, he stayed in Corinthians for, for a year and a half as it told us. And when he wrote back to them, if you read or studied the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, they were very still immoral. Even as believers, they were very carnal because they were caught up in all this idolatry, all this immorality. It was rampant. It was there in your face all the time. And so he writes to them and it's a very strong letter. But this is what he says in in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians when he got there, he says, and, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to, you, uh, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. That, by, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul purposed in his heart, or, or as he got there, it, it seemed like there was something about him that he just felt like, you know what, I'm just going to teach and preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's just going to be simple. He determined that in his heart that he's not going to come in with all these persuasive words. Again, maybe perhaps he thought about it. He had all this time to think as he got there that, you know what? I'm not going to do what I did before. And I hope that he wasn't beating himself up over this whole thing because some people did get saved back there. But but here in 1 Corinthians, it kind of gives us a little glimpse of how Paul got to Corinth. He, he, he had a lot to think about. When, when it says uh, that he came 
in weakness, in fear, in trembling. You almost like feel sorry for Paul. It's like, dude, Paul, it's okay. It's okay, bro. Don't, don't beat yourself up over this. It, 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 it wasn't that bad. You did preach the gospel because, again, when you go back to what he said in Athens, he did talk about Jesus. He did talk about the, the death, the resurrection. He did talk to them about repentance. So he got the gospel out. It might have not been the way he did it at other times, but it's almost like, bro, don't be so hard on yourself. It's okay. It's okay. Let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do in Athens. Let it go. And, and, and again, that's why I want to encourage you that, that oftentimes when you feel like you've just failed it, you know, that you just like blew it big time because you should have, but you didn't say it this way or that way. Did you share the gospel? Well, I shared a little bit, but I should have shared more. I should have known more. Well, study more if you have to. But don't beat yourself up. If you know a little bit, share a little bit. Don't feel like you have to share way up here if you don't know. And I think that's where people just feel like, well, I don't know enough to even go out there. Well, share the little bit that you can. Share, share it in simplicity, just like Paul decided when he got to Corinth that, you know what, I'm just going to preach Jesus and Him crucified. I'm not going to come in with persuasive words or, or big words or, or any kind of man's wisdom. I'm just going to share what I know. I'm just going to share my heart with them. Again, I, I just feel like, like Paul... Paul was pretty pretty discouraged when he got to Corinth. It's quite possible that he was. And, and, and maybe he was kind of waiting and kind of laying low when he got there he, until, until like Silas and, and Timothy got, got to them, got to him. You know, it just, it just seemed like, okay, he, he got there and he went and found these people. And it's interesting because usually when he would go into a city, right off the bat, it would tell us he went directly for the synagogue. He didn't do that here. He, he didn't go over to the synagogue right away. It, it says that he hooked up here with uh, Aquila and Priscilla, his wife, this guy's wife. And it's interesting because it, it just tells us that, that he met this couple. And it was perfect timing for Paul because he needed somebody. He, he got there, and, and, and I don't know if, if he saw them in the marketplace or however it was. They, they, they were tent makers, which means that they worked with leather because a lot of the tents were made out of leather at the time. But somehow he, he, he meets up with them, and it doesn't tell us that they're believers. It just tells us that they were, they were Jewish, or he was Jewish. That's all it tells us at that time. That, that, that Aquila was a Jew and he was born in Pontus. And Pontus, again, would be way over in Asia Minor, on the north side of Asia Minor, just along the, 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 the Black Sea area. And somehow, him and his wife found their way over to Italy. Italy. And, and they were there for a time, but, but Claudius, there was a certain time, it was around... 50 A.D., that, that he kicked all the Jews out. And somehow they, they kind of make themselves down to Corinth and find a place. And they must have been there for a little time because they had their business going. They had a place to stay. 
And what they had in common was that they were tent makers. And it's interesting because we've never heard of Paul having a job before or anything like that. But, but it, 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 as I was looking at, at this and, and studying this, it says that many of the, the young Jewish men who were becoming rabbis always had to learn a trade. There, there was a saying in the rabbis, if you don't teach your son a trade, you will teach him to steal. And so to them, it's like teach them a trade. Because a rabbi, for the most part, didn't take money from his disciples. And so he had to have a trade. But if he got into the temple area and stuff, they usually got taken care of. And so Paul was on his way to becoming a Pharisee. He, he, he was on the road there, but, but he learned a trade. And, and it's interesting because as I was thinking about this, if you go into 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians, he says that while he was there for three weeks, he says, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So it's quite possible wherever he went, he tried to get some work if he didn't have money coming in or people taking care of him. And so here we have him supporting himself, doing some handy kind of work to not be a burden to anyone. And, and this couple takes him in. And what I like about this portion is that if Paul was truly discouraged and maybe even lonely at this time, God, God brought people into his life to be there for him. Right timing. To, to, to come alongside, to, to, to be there and, and to help them and to, to take them in. Again, we don't know if these guys were believers or not, but it's quite possible that they came to know Christ because of Paul. I mean, other, others believe that they were already believers. So whatever, however it was, these guys were an encouragement to him. And Paul was able to minister to them. I'm sure it didn't take long for Paul, as he was getting encouraged, to be used by God once again maybe in their lives, to get back into the swing of things, if, he, if it, indeed he was discouraged and bummed out. This couple would become some of his dearest friends. And it was all because they had this in common that they were tent makers. They had that in common. You know, he didn't come and, and preach to them. It's like, hey, bro, can you use some help? Hey, you know how to do tents? Yeah, I've been doing that all my life. Come on in. And I like that because, again, it, it, the, the, the Lord uses something that is practical to come and minister to somebody there, somebody that was hurting at the time. The, these people would become fellow workers with Paul. In, in Romans sixteen twelve, it tells us that these people even risked their lives for him. They really loved Paul. They got close to Paul. And in verse 4, it, it tells us that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Again, we don't know exactly when he got into the synagogue or how long it took him to get to the synagogue, but we've gotten to verse 4 and we barely hear that he's gotten into the synagogue because usually it was in the first two verses that he was already in the synagogue. But here he meets up with this couple and, 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 and now he's back in the synagogue. He's where he's supposed to be. He's where he has been called to be. 
It, it is possible that Paul took some time before getting to the synagogue. Again, maybe he needed to regroup. Maybe he needed to, to reflect on what, what are you doing, God? What are you doing in my life? doing something different, getting his mind off of all, all the cares of the church and going and doing some tents in the meantime to kind of just, I, I don't want to think. I just want to do. I just want to finish something. I want to see the finished product because I haven't seen the finished product in, in, since we got to Philippi, when we got to Thessalonica. I haven't seen the finished product. Maybe if I build a tent, I will feel happy about this. I just want to do something to see the finished product. It's quite possible that, that he just needed some time away. And if it is true that Paul was discouraged, like most commentators think that he was, that encourages me. <laughs> that really, truly encourages me. That Paul could have been, might have been, quite possibly was, bummed out, down, and out. It's like, sweet, I can identify with him now. I can identify with him now that, that, that it seems like, like he was having a hard time in his life, at a particular time in his life. He, he gives me encouragement that, that he needed others to encourage him. I, I think that there is a danger for pastors and for leaders to think that they have to hold it all together and not let people see that they have times of discouragement. I think it's, a, I think it, it's dangerous for people in, in that position, in our position or in my position, to think that, that, that we can hold it all together, that we never have like discouragement in our lives. You guys do. I don't. You, know? you guys don't, haven't learned what I've learned. So how could you guys you know, not ever be discouraged? You guys are probably all discouraged even right now because I never get discouraged. But you know what's sadder still that a pastor would think that? What's sadder still is that the people don't allow their pastors or their leaders to have those times. They think, no, you can never have a bad time. What if I need you? He's like, I'm sorry, maybe you should counsel me. You know? Maybe I need you right now. Because I don't even feel like being here. To come into my office, I need some counseling. You need counseling. I need counseling. <laughs> I'm having like the worst day ever right now. And you're going, oh, geez. But I think oftentimes we, we, the people don't allow their pastors to, to be real, to, to, to have those times of, of discouragement, to have those times of, of like, right now I just can't. I, I'm, I'm on a downer right now. But Paul is back in the synagogue. And I love that. Because even if he had time away from ministering, he is back in there. It's like he, he didn't stay there and then just forget about ministry. Because it, it, it's, not a good, it, it's not a good time when, when, when you get yourself out of, out of ministry and you get put on a shelf. And Paul, if he was put on a shelf for a little bit, it was just for a little bit, but he's back in the synagogue. And, and, and I really believe that, that now, okay, let's go for it, Paul. Let's go. You're, you're, you're done, right? I truly believe that, that he knew that, that now he was where he was supposed to be. And a good way 
to cure discouragement is to be out there encouraging others, being an encouragement for other people. When, when you're discouraged, when you're kind of going through it, there's times that he's like, okay, so knock it off, man. Time to get up. Let's go. And maybe that was one of those times for Paul. It's enough being discouraged. I need to go encourage now, people. And even, even if I, I, I get opposition, it's going to be okay because that's where I'm supposed to be. And so I like the fact that Paul got up and he got back in the saddle. He, he got up and he went to the synagogue. And then he was going there daily or, or every time. He was going there on a regular basis, it says. He was persuading both Jews and Greeks. And then Silas and, and Timothy get there. And it's interesting because these guys get there and he's compelled to go in there and just preach the gospel. And even though that there was going to be opposition, Paul was now where he was supposed to be, even with the opposition. And the Lord brought more people to Paul even. His old, his old companions came and joined him. He had Priscilla and Aquila that, that he made new friends with and now his old buddies have come and, and they're there to, to help him and to, to stir him up and to encourage him. And it says that when, when they got there, that there was this like boldness that came upon him even because it says that he was compelled by the Spirit. Other translations say that he was pressed in the Spirit, devoted himself exclusively to preaching and completely engrossed with preaching. In other words, he was back in his element. He was back where he knew God had called him to be. And his message was straight. His message was straightforward. His message drew a line in the sand to these Jewish people because it was simple. He began to to share with them and to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. That's what was the drawing line to these Jews. That Jesus was the one, the long-awaited Christ, the, the, the long-awaited Messiah, the one, the one that God would send, the one that God promised to send to bring salvation. And whenever lines are drawn, when, when we're preaching the gospel, when we're, when we're telling people, here's the line, man. Now, now, now you have the choice. Now you've got to make a choice. And, and this is what happens here. He draws the line, and all of a sudden there's more opposition. There's opposition that comes against them because when you draw a line, when you decide to take a stand for Jesus and be on one side or the other, because you could take a stand for Jesus and say, I don't want to take a stand. Well, you've taken the other stand. That's okay. If that's, a, if that's where you want to be, go, go that way. Don't be a hypocrite on this side. But if you're going to draw a line, then there will be opposition. There will be people who say, well, I don't agree with it. I don't care if you agree with it. You don't have to come. Go to hell if, I want, if you want to. You don't have to. But the, the, the line was, was drawn there. And it caused opposition. But with increased opposition comes increased opportunities. I, I, I think oftentimes we, we, we think that because there's oppositions, that means that the doors are closed. If anything, the opportunities are greater when there's opposite, opposition. Because people are, 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 are hanging in the balance when there's opposition. Because, man, they're battling. 
They're battling, do I make this choice or not? Do I cross that line or not? Again, if anything, I think there's the, 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 the opportunities are greater. The doors are, are even more open. Anytime we enter into the enemy's territory, there will be opposition. Every time. In fact, or if, if in fact Paul was struggling in discouragement, he found courage here. He found courage being back in the battlefield. That's where he found courage. He, 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 he was out there in the situation, you know, having, making this situation happen. Whatever he saw there, whether it was good or bad, whatever had happened in, in his life, if, if, if in fact he, he had played out all these situations in his mind and he, and he was contemplating the good, the bad, the ups and downs, any of those things, if in fact he needed a time for tent making, that was fine, but he needed to get back into the opposition. He needed to come back and get back into the game because there was no time to quit. It was a time for him to be down, but it was no time to quit. It was time for him to go full steam ahead. There was no time to rest anymore. These Corinthians would oppose him, but they would not only oppose him, they also blasphemed, it says. Which means that they defamed and they railed on, reviled and spoke evil of what Paul was sharing with them in an abusive way. But look at what Paul didn't do. He didn't defame back. He he didn't revile back. He didn't speak evil back. He didn't do that. He allowed them to to oppose them, to oppose them even in in an abusive manner, but he didn't revile back. Just like Jesus didn't. When, 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 When they came to crucify him, he didn't say a word back. He just took it. And he does something here when they blasphemed. Again, he doesn't attack them, but he does something that Jesus told the disciples to do when, when they went out and the people didn't receive the word. It says in Matthew ten fourteen, And whoever does not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Paul here shakes off his garments like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done here. And, and, and he tells them as he shakes off his garments, your blood be upon your own head. I am clean. To have blood on your hands means that, that you bear the responsibility for another's death because you did not or you were not faithful to warn them. The image here comes from the book of Ezekiel. When the watchman was told to go and warn the people. He says, if you go and alert the people, if you go and warn, warn, warn the people of coming danger, then, then their blood will be upon their head. But if you don't, then their blood will be on your hands. Again, to, to have blood on your hands means that, that you are blamed. But for them, to have blood on their head means that 
judgment has come upon them. They had the opportunity to be saved, but they turned it down. Paul's hands were clean in the matter here because he had been faithful to deliver the message of the gospel. And these Jews who refused, who mocked, who came against him, who blasphemed, their own blood is on their head because they rejected it. Paul would be known as the, the apostle to the Gentiles. But that th- didn't mean that he would never go speak to the Jews. He did whenever he had the opportunity. But he told him, from here on out, I'm going to go towards the Gentiles in Corinth there. From verses 7 to 11, it says that he departed from there. He departed from the synagogue, but he didn't go far. (laughs) He went next door. (laughs) That's as far as he got. And and it's great because he he meets up with this guy, Justice, who who possibly heard the gospel from the synagogue. He was a Gentile. It says that that he worshipped God. It's quite possible he used to come into the, the synagogue. He was seeking God. And he lived next door. So it's quite possible that he came to know Christ because of Paul. Because of his preaching. And so Paul was using wisdom to leave the synagogue and go over to Justice's house. And from there he was going to be preaching the gospel. He still had the opportunity. He still had access to those who were coming into the, the, the synagogue to preach the gospel. Even though he told them, I'm not going in there no more. As a result of that, Even the chief ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, was converted. And and, and his job, this ruler's job, was to oversee the synagogue. To take care of it and make sure that, that the services ran in order and they were regular. And here we have another instance of his whole household, of a, of a household coming to know Christ and all being baptized. And then it says in verse 9, And the Lord spoke to Paul in the night in a vision. And said to Paul, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Here the Lord comes and encourages Paul. What we have seen in this chapter is that that the Lord Himself even comes and ministers to him and encourages him. But in this chapter, we see that Paul, if he was in fact discouraged and bummed out, he comes into to Corinth and he meets up with Aquila and Priscilla. The, the, these new people that he meets and, 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 and becomes really close to. We, we see that he brings si, Silas and Timothy into, into his life once again. We see that, that justice is another one that comes in and, and, and opens up his house for him to preach and that Crispus even comes and, and is, 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 is wanting to be ministered to by him. And so we see that the Lord used all these people to come and encourage Paul. But I like the fact that even the Lord came to him and ministered to him. I, I, I love the fact that, that he came and he met Paul right where he was at. And he encouraged him. The Lord met him right where he was at. 
And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent. And it sounds like Paul was discouraged. That he needed to hear these words from the Lord. Is it possible that the Lord speaks these words because he was afraid? Is, is it possible that, that Paul was thinking, you know what, Lord, I, I, I don't want, want to preach anymore. I'm tired. I'm tired of all the rejection. I'm tired of, 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 of these people just coming against me all the time. Could it be that that's why Jesus uses these words to encourage him? Don't be afraid, Paul. Probably because he was. Speak. Maybe because he wasn't no time to keep silent. Again, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Because again, here we see this, this man, this great man of God, that, that perhaps is in, in a place where he's just, fear and trembling is his life right now. He, he, he just doesn't have it all together like everybody thought he did. And I'm thinking, wow, that, that's encouraging. That should be encouraging for us. That even the Apostle Paul, the one that would be called the great apostle, had times where he was discouraged. And the Lord came and he met him right where he was at. And I love the fact that God not only promised to be with him, but he brought people in his life. Because honestly, guys, we can't do this by ourselves. We need one another. God brings people into our lives if we just open up ourselves and say, okay, Lord, I can't do this. And he brings people in our lives to minister to us. But I think sometimes we're the ones that kind of close the door because we're tired. Because it's like, "Ah, I don't know if I could do this anymore. I don't know if I want to make myself vulnerable anymore. I don't know if I want friends anymore, man. They're just drama. You know? It's like, I don't want that. I have enough problems of my own. Guys, we're not supposed to do it by ourselves. And maybe you are in a place of discouragement. Maybe you are in a place where where you need to hear from God for Him to say, don't be afraid. Go back out there. Speak my name. See what happens. Even if they reject it, even if they mock it, even if there's opposition, and even if they blaspheme me, (laughs) it's okay. Shake the dust off and move on. God's a big God. He, he, he's, a, he's a big boy. He can handle even people blaspheming his name. He'll take care of them. We don't, we don't have to revile back. We don't have to fight back. It's like, dude, I don't want to be you on Judgment Day. Adios amigos. Not that we shouldn't pray for those people. We should. But don't think that you have to fight them. Hey, if it's time to shake the dust off, shake the dust off and move on. If you have to speak to your soul like, like King David, oh soul, why are you cast down? Get back up. Let's go for it. It's no time to rest, people. It's no time to rest. We will be mocked. We will have opposition. We will have discouragement. <laughs> Get used to disappointment. But move forward, amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we again want to thank you for your word. It is truly powerful, Lord. 
Father, even as we look at it, and Lord, as we contemplate how you came and ministered to Paul, yourself, Lord, even as you sent people around him, you still felt the need that, that you needed to come and encourage him to continue to move forward. You reminded him once again, Lord God, that he wasn't in it by himself, that you had many more in that city that would be used. Lord, I'm reminded of Elijah when he felt like he was the only prophet left, Lord. And you reminded him that, he had, that you still had so many that had not bowed, bowed their knee. And Lord, I know that sometimes we just feel so all alone. We feel like we're the only ones. And maybe we are in our families. But Lord, we're gathered together with our church family here, Lord. And many of us feel that way, Lord, around our work, around our families that, Lord, that we would come together and encourage one another because we're all going through it, Lord. And, Lord, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray for them right now. God, you would truly meet them right where they're at. You would speak to them and encourage them, Lord. That, Lord, that we as brothers and sisters can encourage one another to move forward, to not hold back, but to go full steam ahead. Blessed be your name because you are worthy to be praised, O oh Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you feel discouraged, if you feel like you need just prayer for something, come on.